we're looking at, at orange, and this it's month, this time of year when we, when we think about the combination of the church and the community working together to influence the next generation. It's something that we really ought to be aware of and working on all year long, but what we do in this month is we focus on it as a community to remind one another as a church and as families of this most important task that we have of leading the next generation to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that from the family perspective a little bit today. Dan last week talked about the church, and there's these two orange principles. They'll pop up on the screen here behind us in just a second. Um, when we were talking about this and doing our planning, and Yvonne and Jim and I were looking at it, the family council had kind of worked with this. We were talking about what we wanted to convey Yvonne short, short, um, shared these two principles with us, and I was struck by them as I read them and I thought about them. The church is called to intentionally show people who God is. And Dan talked about that last week, and he reminded us that we shouldn't, as a people, as a church, as a community, be majoring in the minors. But instead, we should be focused on the majors of showing the world that God is a God of love and the extent to which that love has gone out to them. And we so often get into the weeds in other areas. And I thought he did a great job. If you didn't hear Dan's message, please go back and listen to it off of the website. And this other one, the home and family is called to intentionally show one another the love and care of God. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But as I looked at those statements, I thought, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that, 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 that the focus of the church is to show the world who God is? And the focus of the family is to demonstrate and embody the care and love of God to one another and especially to the next generation. I love Abraham. He is uh, my favorite character in Scripture next to Jesus. Um, but uh, I love Abraham because I just, for all my life, I've identified with Abraham and his walk with God and his growing faith. And I've really been encouraged by him. And I want to start with an Abraham story today. And it's in Genesis chapter 18. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to that. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, and this is the story of where Abraham has three visitors come to him who are on a mission. And their mission is actually to go and pass judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. But they come, and they come out of the desert, and Abraham is sitting at the edge of his tent, and he sees these three visitors come, and he immediately recognizes them for who they are, and he immediately recognizes that one of them is actually the Lord. I have no idea how he did that, except for the fact that he knew the Lord. And so he recognized one of them as the Lord, and he served them. This is where they blessed Sarah and said she was going to have a baby, and she laughed and all that. That's all the early part of the chapter. But this is the part that I want to zero in on today, is when after they had finished and they were ready to leave, look what happens. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Now let that sink in for a second. God says to him, I've chosen Abraham, and I know that Abraham is going to pass on to his children 
his relationship with me. Now, why was that important? Because God had a plan and God had a purpose. And that plan and purpose was bigger than the man Abraham. It was to build a people for his name. It was to build a people that would be the beginning of a new humanity. And for that to happen, it had to go from generation to generation to generation. It had to go from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and on down through the generations. When God looked at Abraham, he saw past Abraham to the future generations. Because what God wanted to do was bigger than just Abraham's salvation. What God wanted to do was reach past Abraham to his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren so that they would know him. What he started with Abraham was never meant to end with Abraham. It was meant to go on and on and on. And when God looked at Abraham, he said, I know this man. I know he'll do it. And that's going to enable me to do what I want to do. That's going to enable me to bless him. The promises I've made him, they're bigger than him. Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. Abraham died with a handful of kids. He never saw the fulfillment of those promises until he got to heaven. But God saw past. And God said, I know that if Abraham does his part, I will be able to do mine. And I will be able to bless Reggie Joyner in the book Think Orange says, he says, God uses the family to actively link the past to the future so that they might broadcast his love to every generation. Every generation. We're going to talk more about that as we go through Ephesians um, next month and beyond. Um, We all want to do this as parents, as families. We all want to do this. We all want to have the faith that we have be passed on to our children. When uh, my children were younger, I have two. My oldest, Cameron, is 26. Chelsea is 23. And when they, when we were, uh, uh, they were school age, we would get together every morning, and we would do our, our morning devotional together as a family before uh, they went off to school. And I often used to tease them because we'd get together, and I would say, okay, now, now to start off, let's recite our family verse. It's Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey the parent, your parents, for this is right in the Lord. Right? And Chelsea, I told you she was the outspoken one, she would square off and she'd say, that's not our family verse. Right? She was having none of it. Um, but it's such a rich passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I'm thrilled that we're going to take more time in this passage when we get to that in our study of Ephesians in the new year. Because what God has to say about family is so, so critical and so important. There's so much helpful stuff there. But what I want to focus on today is verse 4 of that passage, just for a second. In verse 4, because there's such a richness here, which I have to admit, gets lost in the English translations, in most of our English translations, and I want to take a couple minutes to talk about that. It says this, and fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So we all take that responsibility to heart. We know that our job is to bring our children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so often what that means is we want to make sure that we convey to them the content of our faith. We want them to learn the Bible. We want them to learn about church. 
We want them to learn about our traditions. We want them to learn what's right and what's wrong. We want to teach them obedience. We want to teach them about sin. And we want to teach them about all the... We want to teach them the content of our faith. But there's so much more in this verse than that. So I've given you a a Kevin Armstrong translation here from the Greek. And And I think what it's trying to convey is more like this. For you fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, nourish them toward maturity in the whole development, in their whole development as followers of the Lord. Eugene Peterson, in his translation, the message captures this well. He says, take them by the hand and walk them on to maturity in the Lord. There's a pathos here. There's an emotion. There's a nurturing. There's a a nourishment here that gets lost if we just think about teaching content We've all had teachers in school who I, have, I can tell you two stories about my grade 11 history teacher and my grade 12 history teacher. My grade 12 history teacher was a man who was close to retiring. He was fed up with teaching. He didn't want anything to do with kids anymore. And he basically said, I don't care if you pass or fail, right? I'm going to give you the material. What you do with it is up to you. I kid you not. I could give you his name, but I won't do that. But my grade 11 teacher... My grade 11 teacher, history teacher, he was a guy who was, he was just energized. He loved what he was teaching. He loved us. He wanted us as kids to understand this. He, was more care, he, he cared more about us than just the content of what he was trying to convey. Well, which one would we rather learn from? Which one would we... doesn't matter. i got a C in both classes, so... <laughs> but that was more on me. Right? That was, that was me. That was not them. That was me. But it's not just about conveying the substance. It's not just about teaching our kids about the Bible or teaching our kids about church. It's, there's something more here. There's, it's about teaching them the essence of our faith. The essence of our faith. And the essence of our, the essence of our faith is a person. A real person. Jesus Christ. A person that you can interact with a person that you can have a relationship with. And that surpasses content. I know this to be true because a number of years ago when I was driving Cameron back to university um, at Peterborough, we were chatting um, and talking just about some stuff that he was going through. He said something to me which really set me back. And he said to me, he said, Dad, he said, I've heard your story, I've heard your testimony. And he said, I've never had the experience of having God speak to me the way he spoke to you. And I wish I had that. And I said to him, you know, thinking, you know, I said, oh, Kim. I said, no. I said, you know what? I said, if God wants you to have that, he'll give that to you. But don't go seeking that. That's up to God. That was wrong. That was bad advice I gave my son. I missed an opportunity there. I didn't realize it at the time, but in the last few years, I have realized God wants us to seek Him. He wants us to seek Him, because when we seek Him, we find Him. And what I realize is that when we set our hearts to seek God, we become aware of His presence. And when we become, when we become aware of His presence, guess what? We get to experience the reality of His presence in affirming, encouraging in wonderful ways. And that goes far beyond the content of our faith. That is the essence of our faith. How did Abraham know? 
when those three men walked out of the wilderness, that one of them was actually the Lord. How did he know? Because he knew him. He knew him. There was an immediate identification that happened there. And more than all the content of the world, more than all the biblical knowledge in the world, more than all the church righteousness in the world, I desire for my two kids to know the Lord personally. So that when he speaks to them, they know it's him. You know why? Because God wants to do stuff in their life that might be different from what he's done in my life. He wants to go further with them than he's gone with me. I have no idea where God wants to take them or what he wants to do in their lives. But if they don't know who he is and how to hear his voice, they'll miss it. So I'm trying to make amends. Last week, a couple of uh, wonderful people in our congregation felt moved by the Holy Spirit to pray for my daughter, Chelsea. And to encourage her. And they, they said, God gave us this word for you. And so they did. And she came home. She was very moved by that. And we were talking about it at lunch. And one of the things that I've learned is if we want to start beginning to practice the presence of God, we have to start calling out God where we see him and naming it for what it is. And so I told her, I said, that's the Holy Spirit. You know, and, and if those people felt moved to pray for you, how should you respond to that? The scriptures say don't despise prophecy, so don't dismiss it. Don't say, oh, it was nothing. Oh, it doesn't matter. No. Hear it. Listen to it. Take it into your heart. Ponder it in your heart and wait for it. And wait for it. I wish I had done that all along. I've only been learning that myself recently. But that's how we pass on the substance of our faith. What is the problem with Christian parenting? Reggie Joyner says this in his book. He says, We become so preoccupied with giving kids an inheritance that we forget the significance of leaving a legacy. Sometimes I just have to be reminded that what I give to my children or what I do for my children is not as important as what I leave in them. The weeds or when we get all caught up in what we can do for our children or what we can give to our children as opposed to what we leave in them. And the focus of the family, the purpose of the family is to help them connect with God. God can look after their careers. God can look after their future marriages. God can look after every aspect of their life. In fact, one of the things that I've learned, you've known a bit of my story, is that you know, if you commit your life to God and go on walking along with him, who knows where it's going to go or what's going to happen, but God will be there and God will take care of you and, and it's going to be an adventure like nothing else. I want that for my two kids. But that can only happen if I use my time with them well to connect them to the substance of my faith and not just to the content. All right. What if you don't have the perfect family? A couple of things to just kind of wrap up here. What if you don't have the perfect family? Well, I am reminded of what Paul says about Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 where he says this to Timothy. He says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I am persuaded now lives in you. There's no mention of a dad. 
here. So Timothy either had a Greek father, in fact, most scholars think that he was, a non-believing father, or he had an absent father, no father. But either way, Timothy, the faith that Timothy had, Paul says, I know where you got it from. It came from your grandmother and from your mother. And look how he describes it, a sincere and living faith. It was a faith that was demonstrated in how they lived their lives. It was a faith that came out of every part of their their being. It was a faith that shaped them from the inside out, that was contagious because it was real. And they could see the reality of it. They could see how that faith shaped the decisions of Eunice and Lois. And Timothy caught it from them. So you don't have to be a perfect family. You can be a single mom. You can have an unbelieving spouse. It just takes you having a a real, sincere, genuine faith and living it out in front of your kids. What if you think it's too late? Statistics will tell us, and Carl can probably answer this more currently than I have, but statistics typically have been that 75% of all church kids Um, are not walking with the Lord in their lives after they graduate university. 75%, three out of four, we've become accustomed to that. And there are many of us here in this congregation for whom that's our reality. We, 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 We did our best, we did what we could, and now our kids are grown and older, and they're not walking with the Lord. So here also, I want to give us some encouragement. Remember Jacob? In Genesis 28 and verse 13, it says, God says, I am the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you're lying. You remember, this is where Jacob was on the run from his brother. Jacob had taken his inheritance and taken off. And he lived his life. He was out, you know, doing all the kinds of stuff that he was doing. He knew about God, but you know what? God really didn't matter to him. God wasn't really relevant to him. He was just busy living his life like so many of our kids. Just living their lives, making the best of it, the best they could, leaving God out of it. But then God showed up. One day when Abraham or when Jacob was sleeping in a field with his head on a rock, he had a dream. And in the dream, the Lord revealed himself. And then when the Lord spoke to him, the Lord said this. He says, I am the God of your father and your grandfather. And Jacob said, I've heard about you. I remember you. Okay. And that was the start of a new kind of Jacob. You see, the good news is, it's never too late for God. And if God has set his sights on our kids... If we've raised them, if we've taught them, if we've blessed them, if we've shared with them, and we have a living, vibrant faith of our own that we continue to live out in front of them one day, one day, God will come and find them. And God will show himself to them. And God will say, I am the God of your mom and your dad. And maybe your grandparents even. Or maybe even your great-grandparents. And they'll say, I remember you. I remember you. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to pray for our kids. 
the kids that are downstairs, the kids that are in our midst, the kids that are in our arms, and all the kids who are out there wandering, going wherever. If you have a child between the age of 0 and 42 that is on your heart, that you love and that you know the Lord loves and you long for the Lord to touch them, I want you to think about their names. Think of who they are. I want you to get their names in your head. We're going to read Isaiah 43, verse 1 to 7, this remarkable promise of God. And as we read this promise of God, I want you to think of your kids. This is God's promise that includes all of those kids. And then... The worship team is going to come up. They're going to lead us in a song. And as they play that song, if you want to, I want to invite you to come up and write on these two boards, the two flip charts. There's pens up here on the, on the stage. Just write their first name. Demonstrate. Do something demonstrative. Actually, get out of your chair and come up here and say, Lord, save this one. Make yourself known to this one. Reveal yourself to this one. Or if they're still at home and, they're, and you're still leading them, say, Lord, help me to reveal you to this one. And put their names up there. Make it an altar where we offer the names of our kids for God's grace and salvation. So here's, here we go. And I'm gonna, I chose this from the message passage from Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Maybe the worship team can come back up onto the platform now then and get ready for the song after this. But listen to what God says. But now, God's message, the God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name, you're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, I will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt, with rich Cush and Seba thrown in, that's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. So don't be afraid. I am with you. I'll round up all your scattered children. Pull them in from east and west. I'll send orders north and south. Send them back. Return my sons from distant lands. My daughters from faraway places. I want them back. Every last one who bears my name. Every man, woman, and child. Whom I created for my glory. Yes, personally formed and made each one. Oh Lord, make it so. Make it so. Amen. It's about a posture and about a philosophy, a way of looking at the person in front of you that is about saying, I'm called to be to this person what God is to me. I'm called to parent my children the way I am parented by my Heavenly Father. And that profoundly affected me. And that was the missing piece for me, was being able to see things differently, that I was called into this relationship with my children first and foremost 
to be Jesus with skin on to them, to show them all of the things that I have available to me in my relationship with my Heavenly Father so that they get a taste of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus because of how I'm modeling him to them. That's a tall order. <laughs> um, he says in his book, I'm just going to read a few things because why should I try to say what he says best himself, right? That one of the primary rules God gave us Christian parents is to create adults who reflect his love. And so what that means is that grace-based parents spend their time entrusting themselves to Christ. They live to know God more. Interestingly, Kevin didn't know I was going to read this, and yet he is saying these very things this morning. Grace-based parents' children are the daily recipients of the grace these parents are enjoying from the Lord. If you watch them in action, they appear to be peaceful and very much in love with God. They are especially graceful when their children are hardest to love. Their advice to their children would be a mixture of, you are a gift from God, go make a difference, and you may struggle doing the right thing sometimes, but you're forgiven. And for me, that was so profound as I thought through how I was going to interact with my children when I began to think about the fact that they didn't need me to be one more person in their life who was pointing out the things that were wrong in them. But they needed me to be a safe person in their life to invite them into how to do what was hard differently and in a way that invited the power of the Holy Spirit into helping them with that stuff. And what we've seen happen in our relationship with our kids is that they end up extending as much grace or more grace to us than we have to extend to them because we're forever having to say, you know what, we did that wrong. We didn't extend grace to you and we're sorry. And then they extend grace to us in response to um, our apology and our sort of um, willingness to be humble before them. I don't think we have it all figured out, but it has changed how we interact with our children and has made it... Um, I think a far safer place for us to make mistakes because we're making those mistakes together with each other. And I was telling Yvonne, there's one page. Um, if you don't get a chance to read the book or you don't want to read the book, or you don't have time to read the book, if I could just read this to you, it pretty much summarizes up everything in a nutshell, although there's so much goodness in this book, as you can see by the markings. This stopped me dead in my tracks. And I would say that this doesn't just apply to your children. You could think about this with any person you're in a relationship with. So this also applies to um, your partner, who you're parenting with, your husband, your wife, um, to your sisters, your brothers, to everybody. Your children's propensity towards sin shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't threaten you. And it shouldn't even really bother you. You know you've given birth to sinners, just children just like the parents who sired them. You realize that your children have a bent towards selfishness, stubbornness, and lawlessness, exactly the kind of people Christ loved and whom he died for. By acknowledging your children's bent towards sin from the outset, you can encourage your children to struggle with their sin out in the open, where you can talk about it and direct them to the power of Christ. And when the children are actually sinning, grace makes it easy for you to have open, candid, and vulnerable discussions about these areas where they struggle. Your children will be able to talk with you about their internal battles with jealousy, lust, greed, or anger. You should be able to talk openly and honestly about sin because you're so aware that you and your spouse are sinners too. 
King David said, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness, therefore you're feared. Grace demands a humility and sensitivity toward your children's battles with sin, because grace is a daily reminder of how desperately you need the Savior as well. You should join David in thanking God that he doesn't keep score when it comes to your sin. It makes it a lot easier for children to deal with their sin when you don't make them feel ashamed for having a struggle. Is that not profound? <laughs> you know, and how true is that? And that's not just true in my relationships with my kids, but with my husband. And he has to extend that to me, and they get to see that between the two of us. Um, it's really about modeling who Jesus is and what he offers us. And it's so much easier to be forgiving and, and um, compassionate in the face of a struggle when I keep in the forefront of my mind that that's exactly what God's doing to me when I mess up every day. Um, I'm reminded of the second Reggie Joyner quote that Kevin had about the home is where we are to expose others to the love and the care of God. And um, often when we think of the home, we think of the parent giving it to the, the child. We are supposed to make sure that our children are exposed to the love and the care of God through, through the way that we interact with them. We'd like to kind of open up that a little bit further to, well, what about siblings in the home? Um, and what about uh, marriage relationships or partner relationships? Um, I recently had a situation where there was someone in my life, and uh, I don't live with them, but a very difficult situation came up. And so I was challenged after reading this and thinking about grace-based relationships in how I was supposed to respond. And it was a wonderful moment for God to say, hey, you're not as mature as you thought you were, Yvonne. Here, let's work on this area of your life. So um, the wonderful thing is when God did that, he did it with such kindness and love to me. I, I never felt condemned by him. I felt humbled. So I just, do you want to make any further comments about other relationships in terms of what you've learned from this? Well, I know that for me personally, when I am in a space where I'm realizing I've done something wrong, when I've hurt someone I've loved, where I feel like I'm struggling with something and I'm met with grace in response to that, it helps me to grow, right? It helps me to want to fix things and make things better. And um, Todd is forever extending grace to me in our um, marriage. He's nodding his head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, extending grace to me so that you know, when you're in a relationship, if you're not owning your stuff and, and working towards making things better, then you're going to end up having things devolve before your eyes. And so my part is saying I'm sorry and accepting responsibility. And when his response is grace, it makes it easier for me to do that the next time, right? And it makes our relationship stronger. It makes our intimacy stronger. Um, and then also our kids see that, um, which is helpful then for their relationships with their friends and with each other and sort of has a ripple effect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, regardless of, of how old you are or where you are in your, your relationship with God, you can reach out to him and say, Lord, what do I need to learn in this situation? And what, uh, which I, what I loved was that 
we, we need to treat others the way that God is treating us. We need to reach out to others the way that God has reached out to us. We need to parent, in this particular case, the way that God parents or cares for us. And uh, what I have found, especially in this last little scenario that I was telling you about, was that his, his gentleness and kindness and favor was, was so sweet. It wasn't condemning, and, uh, and it allowed me to live in this situation rather than shut down. I would totally agree with that, and I think I just realized I didn't sort of emphasize that none of this happens through our own strength, right? This is all through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, which is something we've been talking so much about as a congregation, but you can't extend grace to someone else humanly, right? Like, that's not how we as humans are wired. That's a gift from the Spirit. That's manifestation of His Spirit in us. And so as we're facing those difficult times, as those children who are in our faces, um, our spouses, our siblings, friends, neighbors who are difficult to extend grace to, it doesn't mean it's not possible. It just means we need more of the Spirit in us. And there are definitely times in our home where the Holy Spirit's power is needed <laughs> maybe more than other times. And so uh, it's not about just us. This is about partnering with the Holy Spirit, doing this through His power, through His strength, through His ability. That's what makes us to be able to do all things through Him who gives us strength. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now, we, we believe that this book is just really powerful in terms of parenting. And um, so... What we're hoping to do, well, no, what we are going to do is actually have a reading circle. If you'd be interested in reading this book on your own and then coming together and discussing it with other people, um, we would like to create a group who would like to do that. And so today after the circle, after service, if you'd like to go to the library, there'll be a sign-up list there. There are a number of copies of this book in the library as of today, which is fantastic. Um, you can also get it in a number of the public libraries as well. But what we'd like you to do is, um, if, if you really feel like God has, God has sort of struck something, something in you about maybe this is a resource that could um, stretch you as a parent or even in a relationship, in your relationships with others, that we would like to give you the opportunity to read it, but not just that, but then discuss it with others who might be able to really spark some ideas in you. So thank you very much for, for sharing your, your learning experience through this book. And um, I'm just gonna go on and talk about a couple of other things that are coming up. Um, with respects to parenting and, um, and how, <laughs> Each one of these can offer us something more to learn. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, I really love that word seek. And I love the fact that Kevin brought that up. That when we, when we decide this is a journey, we are going to go on with the Lord. This is a journey we're going to go on with Jesus from now until eternity. Um, there's a, still a constant seeking. There's a, still a constant learning and a constant growth. And um, so... One of the things that we want you to be thinking about, and, and we were talking about how in the home relationships are so important. Um, and so something that we have had coming at us in all sorts of different directions is the challenge that families and homes and friends and spouses are having with respects to screens. And yes, I'm talking phones and I'm talking computers, and I'm talking those iPads. 
we as a society are being challenged with how those are coming between us in a relationship. And so we have, we're going to be uh, screening, huh, screening, we're going to be showing the, uh, the movie Screenagers. It's, it's very much pointed towards teens because parents are really struggling with how do I teach my children to live in a healthy way with all of this screen time and social media and that sort of thing. But I'd just like to point out to you that again, even I listening to it, I've been challenged this weekend on how I have um, had screens in my life over this past weekend. Um, so if you, um, if this just intrigues you, please come and, uh, and see this movie and, uh, and just ask the Lord how it can speak to your life. Um, there's one other thing that I, I would like to bring up and I find it very powerful. We've been talking a lot about love. And sometimes love can be such a big thing that we, we can almost get cloudy about what, what, what do we mean by love? How do I love? Um, there is an event coming up and it's put on by a marriage network in Toronto. And it's got to do with the five languages of love. Now, how many of you are familiar with the five languages of love? All right, it's been out there for a long time, but it's such a powerful tool. Now, this happens to be in marriage, but I'd encourage any of you to um, really look into the five languages of love. I have applied this in my relationship with my mother, my relationship with my father, my relationships with my siblings, in the classroom, in work environments, on leadership teams. I've applied this in so many different contexts, and it has been powerful. So it's not just for married couples. It's not just for parents with children. So even if you don't feel that you'd be comfortable going to a marriage event, um, I'm sure there's books in the library. You can go online. You can read about the five languages of love. You can, some of the stories are very powerful. When I read about the languages of love, and um, one day I went to the store. I was with my dad, and I saw something, and it was $2.00. <laughs> And I thought, oh, cool, my mom used to have one of those, but then it died. It was a little air plant. Do you remember what they were? Yeah. Uh, anyway, you probably, anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, and, and I picked it up, and I paid two whole dollars for it, and I took it home, and you'd think my mom had, I'd bought her a house. Like, she was so thrilled, and she commented on it, and she thanked me, and I started going, oh. And that was a turning point in our relationship. So there are many applications for this. So you might want to take a peek into the five languages of love by Gary Chapman. If, uh, but this also. So these three things that I've just spoken about, there are um, going to be some flyers at the door. The ushers are going to have them. If you're interested in any of the three of these, the five languages of love is in November. Uh, on the 26th, but it's not here. It's at the People's Church in Toronto. Screenagers is here on Tuesday the 30th, and the Reader's uh, Circle about the book 
grace-based parenting, it, you can sign up for that in the library. We don't have a date yet because we'll choose it once we know who's wanting to come to have that discussion. But there will be these available at the door, so if you're interested in any of them, you can pick them up. You don't have to memorize all the details. All right? I'm um, profoundly impacted by the love that I saw today with the names. To me, it was almost palpable. I was sitting here as profoundly impacted by the love that I saw. And so I want us to think, if that is how much you love your kids or your grandkids or that kid next door, think of how much God loves you. It's more profound than that. So I'd like us to actually go back to Isaiah and read that scripture once again. And I want you to remember how profoundly God loves you. And out of that love, he wants you to live with grace so that the next generation will be so intrigued by what they see in you, they will want it too. Let's read this together. Can you guys see it? Yeah, you can read it with me? All right. But now, God's message. The God who made you in the first place, Jacob. The one who got you started, Israel. Don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You are mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you, all of Egypt with rich Cush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. So don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'll round you up. Pull them in from the east and the west. I'll send your orders north and south. Send them back. Return my sons from distant lands, my daughters from faraway places. I want them back. Every last one who bears my name, every man, woman, and child whom I created for glory. Yes, personally formed and made each one. And everyone said together, Amen.